Hi, I'm Irwin McManus. I want to welcome you to the Mosaic Podcast. I want to also bring you into some exciting things that are happening here. If you go to the Mosaic app, you will learn about our conference coming up this year, about MSC's new album and their tour across the country. And you can learn how to connect and be more involved in Mosaic in so many different ways. And by the way, we now have the Mosaic YouTube channel. And you can go access not only these talks, but other fresh and new materials that are being created specifically for that channel. And so if you want to be connected in a richer and fuller way, uh, not only be a part of the podcast, get to the Mosaic app and get to the channel. And we'll see you there. You know, when I was growing up, it always seemed to me that achievement was, was a mystery. I, I was never one of those people that just elevated to the top, rose to the top in, in any endeavor, in anything I ever tried. I was one of those people that, that knew what it felt like to be probably the worst person on the team. Well, when I played football in high school, in my sophomore year in Miami, Florida, I was the 14th string wingback, which tells you how many wingbacks the team had. We had 14, and I was number 14. And I look back and I realize I didn't even have the ability to move up to 13. I finished as a 14th string wingback. But then you would think, well, maybe it's just because you were at that time not an athlete. You were really an artist. But I also played in the band. I played the sax. And I was the fourth chair. And that's how many saxophone players we had. We had four sax players, and I was always the fourth chair. And so you could know by the position I held how many people were actually involved. And it seemed like in every endeavor I ever did in life, that was my role, to define what number last actually is. And I had people in my life who just elevated to the top. They, they were the best of the best in everything they did. And it was almost a mystery, an elusive formula that I could never really get a hold of. And it was that true, true in every reason, whether it was academic or athletic or artistic. And maybe your life experience has been like that. And the problem, of course, is that if you feel that way in your relationship with God. See, if you're here and you're one of those people going, you know, I believe in God and, and I, I try to pray and I, I try to have faith and, I, and, and I, I, I really want this to work. I want to see God do great things in my life, but I, I never seem to get chosen to be on the starting team. I, I'm more like one of the guys who gets a great seat on the bench. I'm on the team, but I'm never really in the game. And if you've ever watched someone live a life that's extraordinary, someone whose life is aspirational, someone whose life you want, it can be even more frustrating. If you ask them, how is this happening in your life? And they tell you, well, you know, it's God. That'll just make you want to scream, beat them to the ground, and walk away in despair. Because if it's God and you have God, then why isn't it your life as well? And what I want to talk to you about today is the making of a leader. How does God develop an individual to be the kind of person that he actually entrusts great things to? Because I'm convinced that here in this place right now, there are those of you who are sitting on the bench, who are, are spectators of the game. But if you listen to what your soul was longing for you, you are saying to God, put me in, coach. Put me in the game. Use me to do something that matters in the world. And what can be even more frustrating is you will 
Watch in your life that people less talented than you, less gifted than you, less, less intelligent than you, somehow seem to surpass you when it comes to God choosing a person to do something great. I don't know about you, but I don't want that to happen in my life. I want to be the person God chooses whenever God wants to do something amazing. I want to be the person God chooses whenever God wants to do something extraordinary. I want to be the person God chooses when he begins to write the next pages of human history. So I want to take you to a passage of scripture that actually unwraps for us some of the the principles of leadership that God works through to move in us and through us. When you look at Jesus, you realize that Jesus had this, this inner circle of 12. There were at least 120 people who, who leaned into Jesus' message and, and, and followed him throughout his life. But there was, there was this core of 12 that he brought in. And inside of that 12, there were three. I mean, can you imagine being one of the 12 that Jesus chose? What, what would it take for you to be Bartholomew or Nathaniel or even Thomas, doubting but still a part of the group? But imagine getting to be a part of the three, to be Peter, John, or James. And even for the other nine, it must have been, for them, a little bit off-putting to know that those three had greater access to Jesus than they had. And you find the same dynamic in the life of David, King David. When his armies were being assembled for the great challenges that were ahead of him. And what you begin to realize when you read the story of David, though he's the individual that's identified with all these extraordinary feats. That everything David did, he could have never accomplished alone. That the greatest story of David's life was only possible because extraordinary people surrounded David and became a part of his story as well. And I know this in life, the great things that God wants to do in you, you will never be able to accomplish alone. They only happen when we come together. There's this beautiful passage in 1 Chronicles chapter 11. And I want to read verses 15 through 19. I love this particular section of the scriptures because it begins to give us descriptions of some of those heroic individuals who joined David. And it'll give us sometimes a small summary of this amazing battle or this moment of conquest or bravery. And it'll tell you that's why he was one of David's men. But here's one of those unusual stories. And it says, three of the 30 chiefs came down to David to the rock at the cave of Adullam. While a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley Rephraim. At that time, David was in the stronghold and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out to the Lord. God forbid that I should do this, he said. Should I drink the blood of these men who went at the risk of their lives? Because they risked their lives to bring it back, David would not drink it. Such were the exploits of these three mighty warriors. I love that, that, that crescendo, that, that epic closing line. Thus were the exploits of the three mighty warriors. What an appropriate statement after the Warriors-Cavs game today. Because any team, any tribe, any army, any movement 
that's ever going to succeed needs men and women who elevate above the expected and bring to the table everything they have and become a legend. Not because they pursued fame, but because they pursued faithfulness and stepped into the moment that had been made possible for them. So the story begins, three of the 30 chiefs. See, David had military commanders who oversaw hundreds and military commanders who oversaw thousands. See, some of them had the talent to lead hundreds and some had the talent to lead thousands. But then among those who had talent to lead thousands, there was this 30. And these were the 30 chiefs. See, it's easy to separate someone who's not good at something with someone who's just average at it. It's not hard. It's not hard to identify a person when they cannot sing. And go, no, not you. Not your gift. Not your talent. Stay in the shower. And see, it's, it's easy to identify when a person, when they have no talent or ability, to a person who's average. And it's actually easy to separate the average from the good. And it gets a little harder, but it's still easy to identify the difference between the good and the great. But what about if the room is filled with only the great? What if all 30 are the best of the best? How do you separate out of that 30 the three who become the most extraordinary of all? So it begins by telling us that three of the 30 came down to David to the rock at the cave of Adullam. And I love how the story begins because it lets us know that David did not choose the three out of the 30. He did not have some kind of process where he said, you three are the best three of the 30. The three were not chosen, they chose themselves. And if you want to watch God make you a leader, if you want to actually emerge as the kind of person that God can trust with more in this life, if you want God to take you and form you and shape you and give you influence and have an impact through your life in the world, then this is the process. It begins by showing up. See, the difference... The difference between the three and the 30 was not talent, it was not intellect, it was not skill, it was not experience. It was simply the three of them decided to go to David and they did the first thing leaders do. They show up. Sometimes we want God to choose us, but we're not in the room where God is choosing. And it may not seem like much, but the fact that you're here right now is a great step forward. It means you showed up. And it's a crazy thing. It's so easy to come to an experience like this, isn't it? You didn't have to fight any great battles. There are no giants out there, no Goliaths, no dragons, maybe traffic. But some of you actually had a battle to get up and get here. Some of you had a struggle with it. I'm not feeling too good today. Anybody have that thought? If I went last week... Well, see, sometimes it's, oh, it's it's sunny. And some days, well, it's kind of cloudy. The other days, well, it looks like rain. The other days, well, it rained last year. It's amazing the things that happen to us that, that prohibit us, it seems, from actually simply doing the small thing of showing up. 
And what's crazy is that sometimes we show up once and we think, well, God didn't show up. I showed up, but nothing happened. I showed up, my life didn't change. I showed up and things didn't elevate, so you don't show up again. And it's so much like Thomas when Jesus was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. Jesus shows up on Sunday. He didn't say he was coming. And Thomas wasn't there. So everyone else experienced Jesus, and all Thomas had was the rumor of Jesus' presence. And sometimes we don't realize that we're living simply on the rumor of Jesus' presence because we're not showing up where God is showing up. See, some of us haven't even figured out that we do this every week. And this is all we do. That we're gathering here, but this is not the epicenter of everything God is doing. This is the epicenter from where God is sending us out to do what really matters in the world. And when we come together, God does things that we cannot imagine or even expect. I wonder in your life, if you've made it your life pattern to show up. See, it's not just showing up in places like this. It's not just showing up in church. It's showing up at work. There's some of you, and tomorrow you're going to be in a strategic place, but you don't think it's a strategic place. You just think it's a job. You think you're just there to pay the bills, but God is waiting for you to show up there as well. And if you want God to show up where you are, you need to show up where you are. And I wonder how many of you, God wants to expand your influence, but he's waiting for you to show up and say, God, I am here at this job, in this profession, in this occupation, not by incident or by accident. I am here because you have placed me here, and I want to show up for you so that you'll show up for me. When I look at this, I realize I don't have to fight with the other 30 to be chosen by God. I just need to show up. The other 27 didn't do anything wrong. It's just that the three did something more. Where are the places in your life that God is waiting for you to step up and show up and be a part of what he's doing in the world? And so then they show up, and David is there at the rock at the cave of Adullam, while the band of the Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. And at that time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was in Bethlehem. And David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would bring me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. Have you ever pined for something other than a girl? Or long for something other than that man. If you just wanted something so bad, you just start saying it out. Oh, if I could just have that. See, I, I've been married for 33 years, and that's been happening in my relationship with Kim for 33 years. <laughs> and sometimes I'm not paying attention when she says, oh, I really wish I had a, a latte and a donut. And I know the most loving thing I can do is realize that she's longing out loud to see if anyone will hear her heart. <laughs> Sometimes I, I get pulled in and trapped, and I should know this by now. Sometimes Kim will go, honey, would you like some in and out I say, you know, I would. She goes, oh, but I don't really want to drive. <laughs> 
I realize she's not just longing for In-N-Out. She's longing for me to go get her In-N-Out. And more times than once, she's offered me something, and I said, just this thing, I knew I was going to get it for her. This is David. Oh, I wish I had water from the well in Bethlehem. The problem is that Bethlehem was behind enemy lines. The problem is that the Philistines were the enemy. And the Philistines were the people from whom Goliath came. The Philistines were the people of the giants. They were ruthless and powerful. And the water that David wanted, the well he wanted, was behind enemy lines. And if I'm one of the three and I hear David going, oh... I wish you could have water from the well in Bethlehem behind enemy lines guarded by these giant Philistines who want to kill us all. I would go, me too, David. We're just going to have to wait, aren't we? Want some water from here. Because that's an unrealistic expectation. Hold on to your longings. But what I've learned about leaders, and if you want to step into that space where God uses you most, you not only need to show up, but you need to move to the front lines. See, what you find here is that these three, they were not living their life for safety and security. They were not living their lives to protect their lives. They had already given their lives away. And when they heard David say they wanted water, he wanted water from the well behind Bethlehem, all they needed to do was to go toward the front line and pick a fight. See, there's some of us here, and we keep wondering, why isn't God using me the way I want him to use? And God keeps going, why do you keep hiding at the back of the room? If you keep hiding in the middle of the crowd, don't expect God to call you out. You see, there's some of you here, you need to make a physical choice in your life to stop hiding in the middle and move to the front. But the front lines are a dangerous place. So the reason not everyone goes to the front lines is not everyone comes back from the front lines. And these three were defined. This is their exploits. This is their legend. Because they showed up when no one else showed up. And they moved toward the front lines. And what I've discovered in my own life is that if I'm living in the realm of safety, I have no need for God in my life. If I'm living my life protecting myself by predictability and safety and comfort, there is no need for the extraordinary of God in my life. You want to see God move in your life, then push your life toward the front lines. Press yourself forward. Step into that space that terrifies you and ask God to meet you in that moment. I remember years ago when we first started this community that we now know as Mosaic. And I was talking to the small group of leaders that we had. I said, we need to go and take on L.A. We need to turn L.A. upside down. And L.A. just seemed so ominous and terrifying to everyone. And then one of our leaders, he was an engineer, stood up and said, Erwin, just tell us that God is going to do it and we'll follow you. It sounds great, doesn't it? Just tell us God's going to do it. And we'll follow you. I wanted to say, God's going to do it. I didn't know. You never know what's going to happen in the front line. People die on the front line. And, I, and in that moment, I thought, I know what they want because they've been trained to have someone say to them, this is what God is saying. And it's, it's, that, it's that, that prophetic lie. We act like we're speaking on God's behalf. 
And I just couldn't do it. I couldn't say, yes, this is what God's going to do. But I, I just looked at him and I said, I have no idea if God's going to do this. In fact, I don't even know if we're going to succeed. I don't even know if we're going to survive. I was elevating so much faith in that room. You cannot know how inspired people were in that moment. So all I can tell you is that we must do this. That someone needs to do this. And if we don't have the courage to do this, then we need to pray that God would find a people with more courage than us, more faith than us, because this must happen. You see, I think a lot of times we want God's signature on the contract saying, if you follow me, you will succeed. And really, he wants our signature. I will follow you even if I bleed. See the front line. Those who go to the front line do not always receive the glory. They mostly receive suffering. You want to be a leader? Show up. Move to the front line. Stop letting other people fight your battles. Take your challenges. Kill your giants. And, and then it says, and so the three broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. Does anyone else notice how absurd that is? They went into the most dangerous territory to get David some water. Because he's thirsty for a particular water. Wow, we act all bougie with water now. (laughs) Would you like tap or bottled? Oh, no, I don't drink tap. Sparkling or flat? Perrier or Pellegrino? (laughs) David's like, I want the water behind enemy lines. That's the water I want. And they go, and let me tell you, David did not expect this of them. See, what we know from David's response is that David never expected anyone to go. He was just longing. And I think his longing for the water is more than that. He was longing for home. He was longing to reclaim the land that was his. He was longing for Bethlehem. And that water represented for him the home that he had lost. That's why sometimes you you can smell some cooking and it just reminds you of home. There are moments you can hear a song that reminds you of a moment where everything seems so good and so beautiful. I think David was longing for what that water represented. Drinking from that water would be a fulfillment of a promise from God to him. But they went to get the water. See, leaders, they show up and they move to the front lines, but they also do what is unexpected. No one expected that of them. No one expected them to go get water for David. David did not expect that from them. And by the way, the other 20 leaders would think they were out of their mind. What were you thinking? We just heard David wanted water. We just went. We just, we just postured that way. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> they went from warriors to water fetchers. But the only water fetchers that could succeed in this moment were warriors. I, I had thought about Entitling tonight's talk, Becoming Kevin Pena. Because I don't know if you know Kevin Pena. Kevin, would you stand up? I'm just stand up, bro. No, no, stand up. Stand up. This is Kevin Pena. 
just gotten to know Kevin Pena. And I know mostly because of his relationship with Aaron. But then Kevin just started serving with Oscar and some of these other amazing men. And ladies, you should be picking them off. Because they're amazing. But I, I, I got to know Kevin because I would drive up and Kevin would be there. Can I, can I carry your bag? Sure. <laughs> can, I, can, I, can I hold on to your keys? Okay. And, and then he'd come around and go, hey, here, here's some coffee for you. And by the way, Kevin has, has a job. He has an actual job where he works and makes money. A responsible or fairly responsible adult. And... <laughs> He doesn't get paid to do this. He just does this with his volunteer time. He does this with the time he is off. He comes and serves. And so whenever I'm here, no matter where I'm in the building, there's Kevin Pena. Just smiling away. Can I help you? Can I do that for you? Apologizing for something he didn't do wrong, just in case he did. And then I'll be home. And I'm at home. And there's Kevin Pena. Just dropping by, making sure you're all right, making sure your world's okay, making sure you don't need that. I'm telling you, I'm absolutely certain... I'm going to be walking across the Serengeti. There's going to be Kevin Pena. <laughs> well, there's, there's a line over there. Would you like for me to get eaten? And so you can get through. Because that's who Kevin Pena is. And, and, and you know what I discovered? It was a couple of weeks ago. Kevin was moving fast to do something that needed to be done. And someone said to him, Here, you're nothing but a water fetcher. Wow. And that didn't even stop you. You just went and fetched water. You just did it with more joy, more enthusiasm. It's almost as if he just decided to take on the brand, water fetcher. But I'm going to be the best water fetcher in the world. And, see, and Kevin is a man who chose to do what was unexpected to cross the front lines, to go and get water. And, and after all, these three were above being water fetchers. They were warriors, and they were the best warriors in the world, but they did not see serving as beneath them. And let me tell you what will change the world. What will change the world is when leaders begin to serve, and servants begin to lead. And so, Kevin, I want to thank you for being a water fetcher. I want to thank you for the times I've been thirsty and you brought me water. Or I was tired and you brought me relief. I want to thank you for coming with such a humble attitude and such a joyful spirit and doing what no one expects of you. Because you are setting the standard with all the other men and women who serve behind the scenes. See, and you may be wondering, why doesn't God choose me? It's because you're only doing what's expected of you. And that's not just true here. It's true at work. Have you ever wondered why someone else gets the promotion? Have you ever thought that it should have been you, but you were overlooked or passed over? See, is it possible that you're just doing your job? That you're doing what is expected of you? But what God honors, what God elevates are women and men who do what is unexpected, who go beyond what they're asked, who go beyond what is expected, who go beyond what everyone else is doing, who break away from the status quo and decide they're just going to do that little bit more that no one thinks should be done. 
No one expected them to go battle the Philistines. And that was so confusing for the Philistines. To have three Hebrew warriors by themselves go to war against the Philistines, attacking them. Wow, the best defense is offense. They go after the Philistines. They break through the line. And they must have been thinking, they're going after our king. They're going to kill our king. Or they're going after our, our plunder. They're going after our gold and silver. They're probably all rushing to all their treasures to protect them. I don't think any of them would have thought, let's go protect the well. Because we're sure they're here for the water. It must have been so confusing. Where'd they go? Where'd they go? I think they went to the well. Did they poison it? What'd they do? No, no. They, they took some water. And then what, what'd they do with, after that? Well, they, they, they left. They fought their way in. They took some water. They fought their way out with the water. I wonder what it is in your life that right now looks beneath you that's actually the platform for God to elevate you. Where does God call you to be the water fetcher? But the water fetcher has to become a warrior. It has the courage to do what no one else would ask him to do. Because it's in that process, it's in that crucible that God molds you to be the person that God can trust with the future. And I, I noticed something else here. See, they, 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 they went and brought the water and they carried it back to David, but he refused to drink it. And you think the reason David refused to drink it is he, he, he was incredulous. He was out of his mind. He could not believe these three men went through enemy lines to get him water because he said, oh, how I long to drink water from the well of Bethlehem. He did not ask them to do this. But let me tell you, you want to be a leader? Act without the ask. See, the people that God chooses, the people that God uses are not the people who wait to be asked, but the people who simply act because they see that something must be done. I think one of the ways we avoid responsibility in our lives is we go, well, you know, no one asked me. See, even wherever you go tomorrow, whatever endeavor you're pursuing, whatever job you go to, whatever career you're in, I I can tell you this, that if you only do what you're asked, you will never elevate to the potential God has placed in you. You need to look around and go, what needs to be done that no one is even talking about? And sometimes we get so self-indulgent we have all these assessments. And, and I love assessments that help you grow in self-awareness. But sometimes I hear people talk about themselves as if they're disqualified from serving because of the unique way God has crafted them. You know, that's, that's not my personality. You know, that's, that's not my Enneagram. Hey, that, that's, not, that's, not, that's not like my aura. Like my, my aura doesn't do things like that. My, my, you know, my, 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 my soul feng shui. It doesn't change diapers. It's just that it's not what I'm created to do. See, some of you, your self-awareness tells you that you're above doing things that need to be done. Let me tell you, there are people who serve here who change diapers, not because God created them to do that, 
Not because God called them to do that, but because somebody needed to serve so that families could actually allow God to speak into their lives. And they are taking care of their kids, and they're changing someone else's kid's diaper. I didn't even want to change my kid's diaper. I resented them for years. I felt it was an insult and an act of rebellion every time they pooped. And I, I, so I, I can't even fully comprehend the people who are changing the diapers of people they don't know, who will never say thank you. And let me tell you, it, it's not a unique personality style that does that. It's a shape of character that does that. It's the person who acts without the ask. Now, that's why it frustrates me even when, when I, I get emails from people about money. Every time I get an email about money, it's about a justification to give less. It is never an argument to give more. And yet what I've discovered in my life is that every time God has shown up in my life is when I acted, when I wasn't acting, when I asked, when I just decided to serve and to risk and to step across enemy lines and to take on a responsibility that was bigger than me. We were talking earlier how we have a group right now who's forming the team who's going to create a campus for Mosaic in Venice Beach. It's going to be amazing. And but there are people already serving and working behind the scenes. And, and when it goes public and, and when it absolutely erupts and so many people's lives are forever changed, it'll look like it was just so easy. But you will not have seen all the people who work so hard. And then yesterday, we had our first interest meeting at the Rialto Theater in South Pasadena. It was incredible, let me tell you. We had almost 340 people show up. And we didn't even know how many people would come. We were able to get a temporary use permit at first for just a couple hundred, and then for 500. We were very fortunate we got the larger number. People just waiting outside to come in. And this past week, I had to talk to the, the, the Mosaic board. We have a board that governs us. And to begin the process of renovating the Rialto, we have to take about a half a million dollar line of credit. Really, it needs to be a million, but we don't know if we can qualify for that. So I had to talk to the board and say, um, I, was, I was nervous. I said, um, you know, we have the Rialto Theater, and we have this historic opportunity, and, and we need to take a, a, a half a million dollar line of credit so that we can begin the renovation process. And I was waiting for the board to go, are you out of your mind? But they didn't. In fact, one of them started saying, it's a miracle that you have the Rialto Theater. Go, yes, yes, it is. In fact, it's amazing that you have a theater that holds that many people in such a strategic place. And we have this 15-year lease with, with recurring five-year options for us. We can be there for the next 30 years. And he goes, that's Incredible. He goes, but, but I think you're underestimating how much money it's going to cost. Because there's no way $500,000 is going to cover it. And I thought he was about to say, and that's why we can't approve it. So I was getting ready for the blow. He goes, so you need to realize that you're underestimating. It's going to cost you millions. And you need to do it. What? He goes, it's going to cost you millions of dollars. You're underestimating and you need to do it. Because if God has given you this theater, you need to step into it and make it happen. But you need to be ready to do more than you expect. So, I'm having a conversation with someone who's been on the other side of the line. 
has fought the great battles and brought water back. Because he understands what it means to step into this moment. But I got to tell you, it's been really unnerving for me. I mean, it was so beautiful to go there last night to be reminded how absolutely wrecked that building is. I mean, it is a mess. It's not just been trashed. It has been absolutely destroyed. It's been left dormant for 10 years. And it is almost unusable. And then for years before, it was the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And somebody was there last night. They said, I used to come here during the Rocky Horror Picture Show. That's Mosaic. <laughs> I said, did you, did you used to dress up? And she put her head down and goes, maybe. <laughs> Other people said, we used to come here for, for film festivals. It was amazing having these conversations. But then Lawrence, who I really love and respect, has been just the bearer of endless bad news for me. <laughs> and every time I see him, I'm starting to twitch. I'm like, okay, here he comes. <laughs> He says, you know, we, we, we just talked to his, a historic architect, and we need to have a historical architect who, who is able to assess the building and tell us what we can't move, what we can move, what we have to restore, what we can replace. I said, oh, okay, and what does he do? He just tells us what we can't do. And what we can do, he goes, yes. And he goes, and it's going to cost $75,000. I'm like, what? $75,000 to have someone tell us what we don't want to know. I chose the wrong career. <laughs> and he goes, oh, yes. And then I just got the estimate for the outside of the building. And I thought, okay, that's just the outside, just cosmetic surgery. He goes, it's going to cost $340,000 to repair the outside of the Rialto. And when he said that, I felt like he dropped 1,000 tons on my chest. That cannot be real. That's $340,000 of Botox and collagen on a building. Except things are dropping and threatening people's lives. But other than that, it just feels so wrong. It's not even before we get inside. And the inside is destroyed. And I've had this conversation with God. God, when are you going to give me like an awesome building that everything is perfect? When are you going to give me that like beautiful, pristine building? You, you know, you can have someone else fix it up and then somehow... They just get moved and go, we just want to give to Mosaic. See, that's never happened for me. God always gives us the dump. <laughs> that's what it is. It's just a wreck. It's, it's so clear. God is saying, if I gave you a perfect place, then you wouldn't have a story to tell. I want to give you something that's broken and shattered so that through me, you can make it beautiful and new. And it becomes the metaphor for every person who walks inside this building. And it's a beautiful thing. So we're going around chair to chair, praying over the chairs. And I'm looking at the chairs going, that chair is horrible. I mean, chairs with tape over them. Chairs with screws sticking out. Chairs that are just so broken and run down. And as I was praying over them, I realized, oh, that's how people will come. They will come broken and shattered and torn. And it's our role and our privilege to heal them and bring them hope and wholeness. My wife, Kim, always terrifies me because wherever she travels, she comes back with a burden. 
She goes to Bangladesh, and I know we're going to be doing something in Bangladesh. She goes to India. We'll be doing something in India. She goes to Haiti. We go to Haiti. She went to Malawi. Now we're in Malawi. You know, Kim is our pioneer in Mosaic Global, but let me tell you, it terrifies me whenever she walks into a new country because she comes back, and she's convinced everyone needs to be involved. I can tell you, when she was on the borders of Syria and Lebanon, and she was overwhelmed by the refugee crisis, she came back and said, Mosaic needs to be in the middle of this. Can I just be really transparent and say, I don't want to do everything she wants to do. Sometimes I'm like, honey, just pick something to care about. Pick one thing to care about. She goes, okay, earth. (laughs) And... And I try to even use spiritual language with her. Well, honey, what do you think God is calling you to do? Because what God calls you to do will affect what God's calling us to do. She doesn't, she doesn't need a calling. See, Kim acts without the ask. She goes, there's something we can do. And so we must do something. And that's why she terrifies me, because she doesn't need permission to do good in the world. See, a lot of us sit back and go, you know, I don't have a particular thing that God has told me I need to do or must do or should do, so I don't do anything. And sometimes we hide behind the uncertainty of what God's will and call on our life is. And here's the solution. Do something. Look at the good you can do and do it. If you're not sure what God wants you to do, then you do the good right in front of you right now. Because the best way that your future will become clear is when your present has your full commitment. And David, when he saw them, he refused to drink it because they did what he did not ask. And I'm thinking maybe they shouldn't have done it. See, sometimes you may actually do something God didn't want you to do, but you did it for the right reasons and it still did good in the world. And let me tell you, God will find pleasure in you. Because I would rather stand before God with God going, why did you do so much? I wanted you to do less. I would rather have that conversation with God than God saying, why did you do so little? I wanted you to do more. And, oh, by the way, you want God to choose you as a leader? Let me tell you the the next characteristic of a leader. Not only do they show up and move to the front lines and do the unexpected and act without the ask, but they actually do the impossible. See, this may be the part where the road divides. Some of you are going, well, no, 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 no. I can't do the impossible. That's an impossible ask of me. But let me tell you, what leaders do is they do the impossible. See, before these three crossed enemy lines and got that water and brought it back, everyone else would have been sure that was impossible. They just didn't know it was impossible. Or maybe they knew and they were so willing to give their lives. I don't know. But what I do know is that before they did it, it was impossible. And after they did it, it was possible. See, leaders do the impossible and prove it was possible. And think about this just for a moment. Especially for those of us who are followers of Jesus, those of us that are the church. If you have friends that you care about, people that you respect and admire and love, who don't believe in God, if all we do is the possible, where's the proof of God in that? 
If all we do is the possible, there's no proof of God. It's just a proof of us. Somewhere along the line, we have to cross the line of safety and security and move into that space of uncertainty and mystery and say, God, we're going to step into the impossible because that's the only arena in which we cannot succeed without you. And let me ask you, what in your life could not be possible if God did not exist? Or is your life completely explainable? without God. I'm convinced God is looking for women and men who say, you know, I'm done living a predictable life. I am done living a possible life. I want to live an impossible life because leaders pull people into the impossible. What would happen if we together decided that as Mosaic, we live in the impossible We choose the impossible. We will step beyond the possible, what is possible for us, and we'll step beyond it in all of our insanity, and we will stand in a place where we will fail unless God shows up. See, I think that's the most exciting space in the world, where you know you are done if God does not come through. Then you come back with the water, and you give it to David, and he pours it out. That had to be a bad moment. <laughs> Stop. But David pours it out not as an act of disrespect. In fact, it says David poured it out because these men risked their life to bring that water to him. See, this was an act of respect for them. And I love that. They gave their lives to David and David gave his life to them. But what I love about this moment is that these men who were under David literally moved David to sacrifice. What David longed for was a drink of that water, and yet he didn't take one sip. He poured it out as an offering to God. See, I think a lot of us keep asking God to do great things in our life, and we think it's supposed to be for us. See, it may be that the reason God is not blowing up your life to do something extraordinary is that you keep asking for you and not for others. See, if God has others bring the water to you, he does that not so you can just be self-indulgent and taste of the water and have your thirst quenched. He does it so that you can give it as an offering to him. All that talent in you, all that intellect, all that passion, all that experience, All the stuff inside of you, God didn't give to you just for you. He gave it to you so you could give it back to him in service to others. You want to be a leader? Then move others to sacrifice. You cannot move people where you will not go. You want to be a leader? Move others to worship. What David did was an act of worship to God, inspired by the courage of his friends, of his men, of his warriors. One of the things I've discovered in my own relationship to Jesus is that there's this odd dynamic that when you give your life to Jesus, you discover that God can be completely trusted with your life. 
And, and so you find yourself strangely in the safest place in the world because you belong to God and you know nothing and no one can take you from his presence. But it's sort of a catch-22 because once you're in that space where you know you belong to God, he moves you into the most dangerous place you could ever imagine. See, when you get close to God, he moves you to the front lines. He moves you past enemy lines and he brings out of you a courage and nobility you never thought was there. Let me tell you, if you're here and you have never trusted Jesus with your life, you're not just missing out on what Jesus will do for you after you die. You are missing out on what Jesus will do for you before you die. Because there is a hero inside of you that God is trying to awaken. There's a leader in you that God wants to raise up. And if you're here and you have settled for a small life, then you're not ready for a big God. Because God will take you out of your small life and give you a life bigger than you could ever imagine. There's some of you here and you're like, well, I, I believe in God and, and I believe in Jesus, but, but I, I'm just, I, I, this is all I have. This is all I am. This, this is the space in which I live. You don't feel like there's enough in you to make a difference in the world. The creator of the universe, the one who spoke and said, let there be light. The God who spoke and the entire universe was created. The God who spoke and there were solar systems and galaxies and, and supernovas and dark matter and dark energy and black holes and this solar system and this planet. That God who spoke and created all things by his word lives in you. Don't tell me there's not enough in you to make a difference in the world. Today, I have one objective, to get you off the bench, to get you in the game, to help you see that you have been created by God to make a difference in the world, to compel you to take ownership for everything God wants to do in you. There's some of you here, and you're brilliant businessmen, and you're incredible artists. You have so much talent. But you have not given your life to what Jesus is doing in the world. It doesn't matter if you're a doctor or an architect, an actor or a teacher. It doesn't matter what your occupation is. If you are a follower of Jesus, we have the same mission. Can you imagine what would happen if those of us in this place right now decided, I will be the three, not just the 30, not the 300. Not the 3,000. I choose to be at the hot flaming center of what God is doing in the world. I choose to be the one that God chooses because I know he has already chosen me. So now I choose me. God, get me in the game. Do something with my life. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received, allow it to go deeply into your soul, to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic, to go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation, to become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.